Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cristiano Ronaldo returns to the Premier League this weekend on Optus Sport. And as we count down to his comeback at Manchester United, we speak to two gentlemen who have played against him, against Manchester United, and can tell us what it is like when the Ronaldo Circus rolls into town. A huge episode of the Gagan Pod coming up. Premier League, international, socceroos, and so much more. Let's get started. Yes, hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Gagan Pod. Hopefully, uh, everyone's recharged from a weekend of no Premier League, except hopefully you've enjoyed our full offering of international football. We're almost there through, I think, a week of 75 matches in about eight days with one more set of qualifiers to come. A tasty day on Thursday, by the way, with a lot of the uh, big nations playing. But we're going to run through all of that on today's episode of the Gagan Pod. David Wiener with you here once again to do so. As Cristiano Ronaldo, he was rested from Portugal's final game as he returned to Manchester United, training for the first time in over a decade. We're going to touch on that, of course, today as well and run through some of the key results for international football before we start to preview the return of the Premier League. To do so today, I am joined by Mark Schwarzer over in Spain, Thomas Sorensen in Melbourne. Gents, great to see you both. Schwarzy, how are you? Nice and tanned on our Zoom call as well, making Tom and I look like uh, uh, snowmen. But nevertheless, we will plough on. Good to see you. What's what's happening in your world? Well, just enjoying the sun, man. Uh, like you said, nicely tanned. Um, and, and there's been no effort. I have to say there's been no effort to go out there and get a tan. It's just happened organically. The weather's so you. good. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, food, wine, goes without saying, is absolutely brilliant. And the beer's not bad either. <laughs> Thomas, how's your how's your block looking? That's about as what we we can talk about. You walk around the block, you're getting a few miles in the legs. Oh, I like the little smirk he got in there at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, you know, I can say I'm sitting here with a bit of uh, jealousy, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll get there soon. Um, so to everyone out there, get vaccinated so we can open this thing up and and get live sport because like watching all these games uh fantastic to see uh fan bases all around the world getting excited and, and we want to get excited here as well so it'll, it'll be soon hopefully 100 percent. well we've got that to talk about football as we say is what's been keeping us very busy and for the listeners out there thomas is proudly wearing his denmark shirt again that we saw through the euros which is great to see and that's because they won five nil over israel this morning they're flying in world cup qualifying your denmark Thomas, uh, haven't conceded a goal, well clear in Group F. Interestingly, that's a little bit tighter because uh, than it might have been because Lyndon Dykes, he scored a winner uh, for Scotland, 1-0 over Austria. So the Australian-born striker still doing the business there over in Europe in international arena. Other results on Wednesday as we record this podcast is Netherlands. They had a big win, 6-1 over Turkey. Memphis Depay scoring a treble. That's an interesting one because it was the reverse fixture that actually had a lot of people tipping Turkey as dark horses for the Euros before the tournament uh, earlier this year. So their form has fallen away. Um, And the Dutch under Louis van Gaal, they needed that because Norway 
They're neck and neck with them in their group as well. Erling Braut Harling, no surprise. He scored this morning as well. France, Antoine Griezmann show there. He moved level with Michel Platini with a brace in a 2-0 win over Finland. He's 10 shy of Thierry Henry's record for their country. Now, as I mentioned, Ronaldo was rested, but there was no problem for Portugal. They eased past Azerbaijan, Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva, combining beautifully for a goal. And Ireland, uh, in that group, they pulled one back late uh, to draw one all with Serbia. And that was an interesting and important late development because um, that allowed Portugal to move two points clear in their group. That's quite tight with Serbia breathing down their necks. That was an important development for the Portuguese. Around the grounds, France and Denmark, they're pretty comfortable. Um, but Thursday's matches present an interesting set of fixtures because Spain, they have Sweden breathing down their necks in their group. Italy, even though they've notched 36 straight undefeated, they have Switzerland on their trail. So both those nations need to get the results they need. Belgium face Belarus. They're pretty comfortable in a group with Czech Republic breathing down their neck. And England and Germany, who we'll touch on in detail in a moment, they're in control but need to take care of results against Port- Poland and Iceland, respectively, to make sure that their group remains firmly and comfortably in their hands. So, gents, to you both, because there's been so many matches and everyone's got different things they are, they're going to be noticing from this fixture deluge. What's um, taken your fancy, Schwartz? What's the, what's the result, the performance, the trend that has caught your eye from uh, the internationals in, in UEFA? Um, well, I think that two of them is, is really, you mentioned there briefly, uh, Italy, um, kind of limping over the line, you know, like uh, drawing the last couple of games um, and, and obviously going on this incredible record there. And so it's pretty harsh for me to, to point out Italy, but it's just one of those ones where you just kind of go, are they at the verge of the point now where they're going to drop point? Where they're going to they're gonna lose a game. They're going to lose a game. Will they break the record and then go on a run of losing a couple of games? You just don't know. You, you wouldn't think so with the quality they have. France is probably the biggest problem child at the moment. There seems to be a lot of unrest. There's a lot of uh, a lot of murmurs out there, a lot of uh, uh, stories sort of kind of surfacing. Supposedly, Deschamps has lost lost the plot. Um, uh, Benzema has caused ripples within the camp, um, and Griezmann hasn't been firing and is a bit of a bit of a, a problem for them. I know he did score two overnight, but. It just seems to be at the moment the French side. There was also obviously talk of during the Euros uh, issues between family members of players mm-hmm. fighting in the stands. So that's never a good sign. And generally when there's a lot of talk about it, uh, um, where there's smoke, there's fire, as they say, and it seems to be the case with the French. The French one's an interesting, Thomas, because uh, obviously Deschamps did so incredibly at the World Cup, a good organiser of men. But the moment there was that question about what was France's style of play, what are they beyond a collection of the most dazzling individuals you could probably assemble in international football? And maybe in this period here, we're starting to see a few of those um, problems arise, particularly as he's had to try and integrate all those players Schwartz mentioned with Benzema coming in and almost overcomplicating things because you've almost got now too many stars to try and accommodate. Do you think, because the, the rumour was after the Euros that Zidane might have been lurking, they've stuck with the Deschamps, but do you think this might be an ongoing theme heading towards the World Cup? You know, I, I think France are a little bit in the same boat as as Germany was under Joachim Löw. You know, there, there's just a bit of tiredness in there. I think, you know, tactically, um, a little bit too pragmatic. pragmatic. I think we, we saw it during the Euros as well. You know, you and it is about managing players because they've got abundance of talent. You know, Benzema, I thought it was a good decision because I thought he could just add something else to it. But... 
you know, if there is uh, unrest in <laughs> behind the scenes, that that is, is he then worth it? He, he did well. He scored some good goals uh, at the Euros uh, and made a difference. Um, but longer term, um, you know, then you have to look at those things. And and you could see what what happens with the German squad when when Flick is now in. They just look to be you know playing with a smile on their faces, a, a different energy, uh, a little bit of a different tactical approach, and. It just looks a little bit like France needs some of that as well. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Italy's an interesting one too because it's such a level they had during the Euros. There might be that inevitable drop-off, but they just do have to be a little bit careful because Switzerland, uh, four points behind, they've got two games in hand. So Italy just have to be a little bit careful and make sure they keep winning those matches, stay ahead. And I think they play each other towards the back end and that's going to be almost a, a six-pointer to secure that top spot for the group. Now, your your nation, Thomas, they've everyone called them the fairy tale at the Euros for, you know, we know why now because of the context of the tournament and what happened. But that might have just been uh, unfair in terms of the fact that your nation is on clearly an upward trajectory and that seems to have continued after the competition. Yeah, no, they're, they're looking really good. Um, they got a, a, a very strong squad, especially defensively, all, all the way through the spine, like from, from Schmeichel at the back here, Christensen, Delaney, Heuberg, uh, and now Damsgaard is, you know, he's followed the form up. I think maybe up front, uh, you know, the last couple of qualifiers, they, they were without Braithwaite uh, and Dolberg, so, uh, and still managed to score plenty of goals. So, uh, but... You know, looking at the group, it's not, uh, you know, it's not the, the best of groups. Uh, and Austria, who, who actually did pretty well at the Euros, have totally fallen off uh, the cliff and, and, and it's been absolutely shocking. Um, so, you know, it, it might just be a little bit of, a, you know, <laughs> we can't get too carried away with it. Um, but yeah, they're definitely looking good um, and, and winning the games they have to win. And uh uh, and again, bringing through some talent as well, because when they played in Faroe Islands uh, a couple of games ago, you know, they uh, they played with a second string, a lot of uh, debutants and, and um, you know, that, that looks to be, you know, some good players coming through after as well, which is uh, uh, exciting. One group I didn't mention was Group H, where Croatia, they won 3-0 this morning against Slovenia. They needed that too, because they're level on 13 points with Russia. So you talk about the Denmark group being pretty clear. That's a group that's going to go right down to the wire. The Netherlands one is interesting. I just wanted to survey you guys on um, Louis van Gaal's reappointment as Dutch boss. That one caught me by surprise, because, I mean, I guess the Dutch, they do have their way of doing things. But after going, it's almost like they were so shook by Frank de Boer's tactics and what he tried to do at, at the Euros and and it's been so long since they were really at the level they want to be. Probably got to go back to 2014 when there was Van Gaal in charge. They've pulled him out of retirement, Schwartz. He was busy, you know, smoking cigars with hoose hitting, doing whatever these guys do when they retire. And now he's back in the dugout and, and looking to get his nation back where they ought to be. Well, according to um, to him himself, it's like, of course, he was the natural the natural replacement. He's the one that they had to turn to because he's the one that's going to save them. Um, listen, if if he if he leads them to the World Cup, um, then he's then it certainly would have paid off. And of course, you know the result against Turkey. I mean, it, it is a really good result. We know Turkey certainly were were very underwhelming, underperformed at the Euros. And they've continued that now. They did have a player sent off, Suunchai, just uh, around the halfway half half time mark, um, and obviously that that basically sealed their fate. But at the time, I think it was already three three nil. So they were they were heading in a bad direction anyway. Um, obviously, 
a lot is not right with the Turkish side. Um, but Holland, the positives are there. And, and obviously the change of the manager, um, I think the ruthlessness of Van Gaal uh, seems to be paying off. And obviously the, the slightly confident mm. nature of, of, uh, of the manager, I think, is probably rubbed off uh, on his players. I remember an anecdote that uh, before Bert van Marwijk was appointed for the Socceroos, I think Van Gaal was talked to. And I think he he told the Australian party that was talking to him, ah, well, you need me more than I need you. So tell me why I should come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's been a lot of uh, a lot of international managers who said that to Australia over the years. And he wouldn't have been the first nor probably the last. <laughs> true that. True that. Looking ahead, guys, um, we, I mentioned the England group. They go to Poland, which is a, a tricky fixture. Uh, they, they negotiated the hungry part of this triple header uh, last week, but they go to Poland now to, again, as I said, get control of their group. But it was an interesting interesting experiment by Gareth Southgate at Wembley against Andorra. And if you're going to experiment, you do it against a side ranked 156th in a World Cup qualifier, Thomas. But it, it's what all of England are talking about in terms of connecting England with the Premier League right now. And that's Trent Alexander-Arnold playing in midfield alongside Jordan Henderson and Jude Bellingham in that game. He himself has said afterwards he found it difficult getting on the ball, finding the right spaces, what did you make of that experiment? Because it's one that a few people have called on for a while. Um, do you think in a way it almost ends the myth that just because he's a brilliant right back that he should make that migration to midfield? He can actually be at his very best currently where he right is? You know, I think it shows that even though, you know, you're looking at, at his game, you know, he's got the passing range, he's got the energy, he's dynamic, uh, you know, he's got a, a great view for, for, for the game, but... You know, at the top level, uh, it takes uh, craft, uh, hard work to to learn every single position. And uh, you know, we've seen it in the past. You know, we've seen you know Kimmich, uh, Philip Lahm, who, who sort of moved from that right back, uh, left back into midfield and had done really well. But it's taken him years at Bayern Munich mm. to 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 do that. And and yeah, I think it stems from the problem is that he's. He's far down the pecking order at that right-hand spot. You've got Kyle, Kyle Walker, Rich James, uh, Trippier is there. Uh, and and he, he's a good player. You know, we've seen it at Liverpool, you know, how many assists he's, he's given up. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, contributing. So you're trying to fit him in. But I think defensively, he's maybe not as strong as, as the others. And, and, and that's letting him down. And I think it's just desperation from Southgate trying to find a solution to to get him and keep him in the squad because otherwise, why is he there if he's only third, fourth choice as he's at, at his natural position? What did you make of it, Schwartz? Um, for me, it reeked of, of really picking a player that is a phenomenal right back, um, like Thomas was saying. And obviously, Gareth has made a, a decision on who he wants to play at right back. And Reese James and Kyle Walker are ahead of um, Alexander-Arnold in the pecking order. So I think it's got a lot to do with the pressure from the outside world, from the media, from the fans. And he's trying to find an alternative solution for, for Alexander-Arnold. And it kind of it's, it kind of reminded me a little bit of back in the time when when Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard both incredible midfield players, but for some reason or another it just didn't quite work as a pairing within the England national team. And I actually don't think it's just it was just them. I think it was an overall combination of the whole team. I think the dynamics and the chemistry of the team wasn't right. wasn't just them too. Um, it sort of kind of reeks of that being afraid to leave one or the other out 
And I think it's the same with Alexander-Arnold. There's almost a fear of leaving him out because he's so good um, as a right back and no one can believe he's not in the England mm-hmm. side. Um, but I think Gareth just needs to, he needs to make the decision. He needs to decide on, right, I'm either going to pick him as a right back or I'm gonna, or I'm gonna leave him out and pick another midfield player and pick a player that's specialised in that position. Listen, he struggled against Andorra, and that is nowhere near the level that's going to be needed to play at a World Cup to mm-hmm. to go beyond to go anywhere. So he's not gonna, it's not going to happen for him at, at, against a better opponent. His best position by far and above is at, is at right back, right wing back, whatever you want to say, and that's what he should be picked for. It's interesting because in that game, Rhys James from right back had more touches than Alexander-Arnold did in midfield. So it just shows you how specialist it is and, and you can't just, even at international level against a, a minnow, go into that position. But I guess, Tom, it's a little bit instructive of Southgate, just the, the personality of the team he's going to pick because he's gone to the two players that you both mentioned, James and Walker, who are inherently, you, people would argue, better def- pure defenders than Alexander-Arnold. The threat that Alexander Arnold delivers from right back is just so compelling, but it, it it also just shows like how much things have changed. A right back can be an influential part of your team from an attacking sense that he does not have to be in midfield to have that influence. No, I, I, th- I think we the Euros were a perfect example. You know, some of the the, the outstanding performances came from mm, uh, yeah. wing backs. You know, we had uh, yeah. Dom Fries obviously burst onto the scene. We had uh, Joachim Mele from from the Danish team. You know, so so it's become a especially now when the tactical change to that, you know, back three with wing backs, you know, they they've become really really crucial in uh, you know, uh, going forward and obviously have to have great engines and but defensively they also have to be able to do a job. Um, you know, so it's, you know, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, a picture of how Southgate thinks tactically as well. You know, he, he is a little bit defensive. Uh, you know, he loves to secure the back line and, and he's, he's maybe not willing to, to take that, you know, uh, X factor effect that, that Trent Alexander-Arnold has going forward, you know, that he sh- shows for Liverpool. Uh, maybe he hasn't got the same, you know, security, you know, with, with obviously a Van Dyke, uh, you know, at, at that back back line that, that he feels is enough to have Arnold in the team. The question I would suppose you would have to ask and Gareth would have to answer is, is Alexander Arnold that much better than Reese James and Carl Walker going forward? And are Reese James and Carl Walker that much better than than Alexander Arnold defensively? And then, so what, what kind of kind of counters out one or the other, you know, what's the importance? See, I, I think Reese James and Kyle Walker going forward are exceptionally good. Are they good as Alexander Arnold? Probably not. But are they miles off him? No. I think the, the margin is minimal. Are they better defenders than Alexander Arnold? Yes. I think that margin is more significant. And I think that's probably more the reason why he would pick Reese James and Walker ahead of Alexander Arnold in that position. I think for Reese James, there were a lot of question marks still out about whether or not defensively he was he was capable enough. I think there's almost one game that was a, def- a defining moment for him so far early in his career, and that for me was the Champions League final. Mm. I think he proved in that final at the one you know that certainly in a, in, a, in a club level, the highest level, he can perform at an exceptional level defensively mm. and, and have a major contribution to his side. Uh, and I think Chilwell was was exactly the same on the other side as well. 
But I think Reese James, that was one of the big reasons why he almost cemented a position in that in that England squad. Yeah, well, we, we've got to be honest, like Trent Alexander-Arnold will get in any national team around the world. Uh, he's just playing for the country where there's there's two exceptional people in front of him. Well, that's the running joke is that England could field an yeah. 11 of right backs. If you and it, with 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 the punchline that Kyle Walker would be in goals because of that cameo for Manchester City, so that that's the punchline. They have extraordinary depth when you consider that Aaron Wan Bissaka isn't even in the he's not even in the discussion. But but I also feel sorry for for Kieran Trippier because yes. he, he's playing as a left back and his strongest position is a right back and he's a phenomenal right back. So I actually I have sympathy for him and I actually feel sorry for him because you're not really getting this the true Kieran Trippier at mm. right back. Mm, mm. Yeah, and 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 he's being and he's sort of the 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 benefit of him going to play with Diego Simeone is his you know defensive knowledge and know how, but he's being shoehorned into another position because of that you know that craft that he's learned over which, in Spain. Which which because he went there, yeah, exactly. Because he went there and experienced that, he's able to do it. Whereas prior to going to to Spain, Gareth Southgate probably never in a million years would have would have looked at putting Trippier as a left back. Mm, mm, mm. Good to have options. Good to have options. You know who's got options now all of a sudden is Germany. 6-0 win over Armenia. You read into that what you will, but probably the panache and the energy they played with. We'll get a better glimpse against Iceland on Thursday, but I know you follow the national team of Germany with, with, with intrigue, Mark. Obviously, Hansi Flick's now in charge, and uh, this looked a lot more like the start of a, of a fresh new era. Oh, yeah, and, and Germany's been crying out for, for probably... Certainly, uh, the last year, the Euros and the the World Cup um, in in for me in Russia. I, I think I said it before that the change came way too long uh, late. However, it is what it is, and I think the key to this is Hansi Flick at the moment is I think found a good balance between really good experienced players and the emerging youth and giving youth an opportunity. Um, the fact that he was you know that he was at uh, that he was at Bayern Munich, uh, and and he's had the the opportunities to to bring through players like uh, Jamal Musiala, who I think is a sensational player, someone that that seems to take in, it in his stride the jump from being a, a B team player at Bayern Munich to a, an important squad player to playing you know a handful of games in a row for them to now also being involved in the national team uh, with Germany, the full national team. Um, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Florian Wirtz, same thing, you know, from Bayer Leverkusen, the creative midfield player under Yogi Love. I thought Musiala, this is the thing, you know, you look at the Euros, Musiala came on against England with about three or four minutes to go. They're chasing the game. For me, that's a substitution that clearly was just the case of he was probably told he had to bring in these young players and give them a bit of an exposure and experience in the Euros but he didn't really believe in it and didn't want to give him that opportunity. He stuck with the tried and tested. And I think he had too much faith um, in players and loyalty to players, which you want to have as a manager, or you certainly as a player want that from a manager. But I think he took him too far and that was in the end his undoing. Um, but now under under Hansi Flick, he's got an opportunity to to wipe the slate clean. You know, Cruz announces retirement, um, Hummels moves on. And he's able to, you know, to bring players into the squad. And you look at Thomas Muller, who obviously was at the Euros, but Hansi Flick revitalised him at Bayern Munich. And there is such an incredible relationship between the two. So I think 
there is a good mixture at the moment. Um, there's still a long way to go for Germany. You look at their group, it's the perfect start for, mm. for Hansi Flick. This qualifying group is a group that Germany should win and should win comfortably. But under Jürgen Löw, they wouldn't have won it comfortably. But under Hansi Flick, I believe they will go on to win it comfortably. And it's a team that looks nice and balanced now. Kimmich and Gretzky in midfield. Gnabry, Royce, Sane, Werner. You can even just by looking at 11, you know what they're trying to do. And you know they've got the, you know, the commitment to that pace and that creativity going forward too. So even just in the selection, it's just, it just seems a lot more clearer than what was going on in the Yogi Lowe era. So they're back in action on Thursday um, against Iceland, as I mentioned. That's the last of the qualifiers here, of course. And a lot of big nations in action, as I mentioned. So they're, they're against Iceland. Belgium, they're against Belarus. All these games are 4.45 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on Optus Sport. Uh, Poland against England, as I mentioned. Spain go to Kosovo. Italy host Lithuania. And uh, Greece host Sweden. And that, that match that is important for Italy as well. Uh, Switzerland go to Northern Ireland. And there's also a massive game uh, going on in Group J, which is obviously the Germany game, is North Macedonia. You know, they, they found themselves in a decent position, really. Beating Germany was huge for them, obviously, before the Euros. Going to the Euros was an enormous occasion for them. So all the all the North Macedonian fans in Australia, they'll be up watching this game. Uh, it's a massive game for them against Romania. They get a result. They win that game. They can find themselves in the playoff position if mm-hmm. other results go their way, which would be absolutely enormous for them. So Germany, 12 points. Armenia, 10 points. Romania, 9 points. North Macedonia, 8 points. Four points clear of Iceland. So fantastic stuff. Good to see them continuing the buzz from after the Euros. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, gents, when the international break finishes on Thursday, we are turning our attention to Saturday night and the return of the Premier League because it really doesn't get actually much bigger than this. As I mentioned at the top, Cristiano Ronaldo is, was not involved in Portugal's game today. He arrived for duty, met Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United's training headquarters to begin. Well, it's the homecoming. Can fairytales come true? Is this going to work? How excited are you for Saturday night, midnight here in Australia against Newcastle United, Thomas? It's the homecoming. And football theatre doesn't get any bigger than this. Uh, it's a fantastic story. I think, you know, for the Premier League, for, for Manchester United, uh, you know, he's, he's still a fantastic player. Uh, he, he can still make a massive difference. And, uh, you know, you, you, you want to see, you know, definitely from my point of view of, you know, the Premier League has, has got a special place in my heart. Uh, so to see the best players there and, uh, you know, to see him, Going back, uh, it's going to be a great occasion. Uh, you know, how does he fit in? You know, how does Solskjaer, you know, manage this? Uh, will be a story to, to sort of uh, stay on top of because, you know, he is a big personality. You know, you, you know that there has been managers that struggle to, to sort of uh, at least get the best out of uh, or at least sort of get the squad to work around him. Um, but yeah, you know he's definitely adding another piece uh, to uh, to United side that uh, you know now definitely have to aim for at least at least the top three, but maybe maybe more. 
What's the buzz in Spain, Mark? Obviously, England's beside itself with his return. Uh, we know he had his possibly his peak years in Spain. Are they? Is them particularly given that the La Liga doesn't have Ronaldo or Messi right now? Has there been much focus on on the move at all, or um, jealousy, or or anxiety over the fact that their league doesn't have these marquee men? Is anything anything worth noting from Spain? Not really. I, I think more in Spain. What, what the talk about is 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 how bad Barcelona's situation is, how bad a debt they're in. Um, it, you know, it's, is it going to be Real Madrid's title just to lose, which I probably think will be. Atletico will do their usual thing to try and upset, uh, you know, the, the the big the big two, so to speak. Um, and I think a lot of the talk is also, which has surfaced today, is about the fact that supposedly the European Super League is not dead. Mm. Um, that it's still a chance. Um, President Barcelona Laporte has come out and said that it's not dead and it's going to be down to the courts in Europe to decide whether or not uh, you know UEFA have any opportunity to to quash their 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 uh, you know their ideas of creating this European Super League. Well, no wonder he's going to say that because I was reading story during the week that they're so broke that cutting the light to training early to try save some money. So they need to keep the Super League idea alive because they need to come up with a way to, to restart their financial structures. 1.2 billion euros in debt, Barcelona. I, I, I don't even understand how that's even possible in today's day and age. I don't even understand how an, a league, uh, UEFA, would allow a club, any club, let alone a Barcelona or a Madrid one, to get in that sort of debt, I, I don't understand it. I mean, it makes a mockery of financial fair play. Mm. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't just it, it's it's um, such a difficult one to understand. It's the grossest mismanagement of a, one of the football's most iconic clubs that I've I've seen in the last five to ten years, particularly when you can watch it externally, like a train wreck, looking at their signings, and just you can just see that this is going to go down into a. Big, big, big black hole. But we digress because right now we're talking about Manchester United and they've got no issues because Ronaldo's shirts, Thomas, are running off the shelves. The first hour of CR7 back at Old Trafford, thanks to Edison Cavani, just slipping the number away, going and getting his Uruguay number. Um, I think I, I read that um, the first hour was a bigger, the biggest, well, sorry, it beat the biggest day of online sales of Manchester United jerseys um, as soon as the number seven with Ronaldo became available again. And it's a really good example of how even at 36 years of age, I mean, you spoke about it last week, Schwartz, you just had to make the move if you're United. It's a deal that transcends football. We're going to talk in a second about how it makes it work on the pitch, but off the pitch, it's already paying itself off for United in the first week. Yeah, but I think, you know what, the thing is that that's been the easy target, isn't it, for everyone? For, for all the doubters, it's easy to go, it's just a financial decision. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I absolutely, 100% it's a financial decision. But it's not just a financial decision off the pitch. That's, gonna, I, I, that's what makes it a no-brainer to me. That's what adds to the reason why it's a no-brainer, because off the pitch, it was always going to make a lot of sense. The question marks are there about how much of an influence, how, how big an effect will he have on the football pitch? And we talked about it last week. I, for one, believe he will have a big influence. And, and then that, that's an added bonus for them. So that will even generate more of a return. But then why does, any, why does any club sign a player in the first place? You sign a player to generate money, to generate success, to create success. So, and that success is off the pitch and on the pitch. And that generally is directed by the success on the pitch. Some players can generate that that interest, that uh, revenue without even playing a single minute of football 
in, in the, under their new terms and still generate a lot of money. And then Ronaldo obviously is one of those exceptions. Messi, Beckham did it when he went to Real Madrid. Mm. Um, and I think Cristiano Ronaldo, like I said before, no brainer. And he will be a, he will be a success. And I'm so excited to see it as well. Like Thomas, I'm so excited to see it because I just hope it becomes now four horse race, maybe even five horse race. Um, the entire season and it's going to be tight and there's no one going to run away of it and it's just going to be um, neck and neck all the way and it's going to change on numbers of occasions and players are going to be at each other and managers are going to be at each other and I, I think it just sets itself up to be an incredible season. So true. Where, where does where does Solskjaer go right though, Thomas? We know Ronaldo will score goals. He scored them in Italy for fun but it didn't work for Perlo and Sari. How does Solskjaer make sure that Ronaldo scores goals for United and it works for Solskjaer and the team? You know, I think history tells us, you know, that you need to keep him happy. I think that's the first sort of priority. Um, you know, you know, he, he puts in the work. You know, he, he's a super professional. He wants to win. And, and he's going to inspire that team as well. And I think that's... You know that's the feel you get out of United now, where they've 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 been in the cauldron a little bit for the last ten years, uh, and suddenly now, at least off the pitch, they feel like they're getting restored to sort of the former glory. They still need the results and still need to win trophies, and that that's the next step. Um, so, so I think for for Solskjaer is, you know, it, it's just rallying the players around him and 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 get them to to follow his example and 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 his sort of winning mentality and. and get that culture built because you can sort of see it coming. And I think maybe Ronaldo can just be that final piece, you know, to, to get that winning mentality week in and week out, that little bit of ruthlessness. I think that's what United at times have, have lacked a little bit. Maybe, maybe not as much as Arsenal, but, you know, sometimes they've been a little bit inconsistent. Uh, and I think Ronaldo can, can add that consistency if, if Solskjaer plays his cards right. Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it, for, for Solskjaer to manage. Now he needs to manage the group of players. And obviously one of the, one of the biggest challenges is going to be managing Cristiano Ronaldo. And you mentioned there, uh, David, before about Sarri and Pirlo. Sarri, we know from his time at Chelsea and even prior to that at Napoli, he's very set in his way, very peak-headed. Um, and there's no other way than Sarri way. And that was always going to come to a head at some stage. And obviously it happened very quickly at Juve. Pirlo, a guy of zero experiences as a manager, um, and I think found it very difficult at a time of massive change at a club at Juve and, and, and having to, to try and regenerate. Whereas Oli's been there for a little while now. He's had periods of times where he's been able to settle, he's been able to bring in, get rid of players, um, and they're slowly creating a squad that is more than capable to compete. And if you look at them going forward, they've got an abundance of talent. Mm. So his challenge is going to be to find the right combinations. And Ronaldo has to be at that, that point end, the pointy end of that arrow. Whatever it is, he has to be in it. And very close behind it, it's going to have to be, you can see Bruno Fernandes, otherwise it's going to be, uh, it seems to me like a player that is not going to be happy other than if he's playing every week and having a big, a big part to play. Paul Pogba is the same. So he needs to manage all the sideshows. And that's going to be his biggest challenge, in my opinion. Getting the right combos and managing the sideshows. Um, Pogba running out of contract. 
um, keeping Ronaldo happy, getting him scoring goals, doing his thing, and having the right players around him to do a lot of the work that Ronaldo doesn't do anymore. Like, give him the ball, mm. he will get you in the right position. Jaden Sancho, get in the ball. Bruno Fernandes, get in the ball. Marcus Rashford, get in the ball. Paul Pogba, get in the ball. He's got his options. He does have his options. He has. But, but I also yeah, so I also think that the whole media around it. I think with Ronaldo, there's 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 going to be extra scrutiny. There's got there's going to be extra storylines, and I think that's also the the big the big job for for Solskjaer is is managing that narrative mm. um, because you know if things start to go a little bit, if Ronaldo doesn't score, if they if you can see there's tactically a few issues, you know how does he deal with that? I think that that's also a, a, a big thing to to look out for. You know, it warms the heart. As a journalist, hearing one of my fellow pundits use the word narrative, that's 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 <laughs> I know the Gagapods just my cause is done now. That's brilliant. <laughs> I learned from the best, Dave. I learned from the best. <laughs> hey, Jeff, you both would have um, you both would have uh, stared Ronaldo down in goal when he was back at United. I'd love to pick your brain on those experiences. Um, he would have been the new kid on the block at the time, but um. Well, I'm just going to sit back and listen to uh, two keepers talking about uh, their experiences now uh, facing up to him when he was at his peak. Schwartz, I mean, yeah, so biggest talking... dive ever. Biggest yeah. dive ever at the Riverside. Got a penalty, got up and winked at his teammates. <laughs> and I did, and I was literally about a foot away from him. And the referee's angle, he thought I'd fouled him. And everyone in the stadium pretty much saw, saw that I didn't. And he won the penalty. The referee was adamant it was a penalty. I told him, you you know, you've, you've messed up massively. You're watching on a replay and you will see how much of a cock-up you've done. He scores a penalty and uh, we lose the game. And about two or three weeks later, we played uh, another game and that was the same referee. And he came up to me and apologised and said, you know, I got home, my wife gave me an ear bashing, how bad a decision it was. Who did he wink at, by the way? Was it, was it sort of oh, patronising back remember. to you or...? No, it wasn't to me. No, 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 it wasn't to me. One of his teammates that he that he that he was kind of it was a verification that he that he'd uh, that he'd conned everyone. What was the biggest threat? Like as a on, as a keeper, were you more on guard, ready for the you know the, the rocket that would come from any place on the pitch? Was it to coach your, your your defenders to make sure they didn't fall for one of his elaborate stepovers? Which was back at the day that was you know that was the Ronaldo show was the stepovers. What was the bigger anxiety at the time? Was it the excitement of the challenge, Thomas, of facing? At the time, a kid who was clearly destined to do some ridiculous things. What was what was the big preparation facing Ronaldo back in the day? You know, I, I think it's just uh, you know you got you got to be extra alert. Uh, you know, there's there's the, the normal player where you, you can always sort of uh, you, you know what's going to happen. You 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 might be a step ahead all the time, uh, but with Ronaldo, you might be the one that's trailing, uh, and I think that's. You know that's a difficulty. You know it, it's the unknown. Uh, you know obviously his strengths, um, but but his thought process is just that much quicker than than everyone else. Uh, so he sees things quicker than than you might see things. Um, you know I, I must say personally, you know I, I struggled a little bit with his free kicks. <laughs> um, you know he uh, he. he he definitely uh, had the better of me there, you know, especially in the early days. Uh, ridiculous uh, the, the the time that that you had to to react uh, was difficult. Um, and uh, yeah, no, he he, he 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 hammered a couple past me, and 
And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I probably didn't look look that good. Um, so but, is it the uh, speed, Thomas? It, is, is it the speed? Yeah, the power, so, accuracy. What's the yeah? Difference? No, it's, it's it's a lot of things. You know, it's obviously the, the speed, uh, and then the technique, the way he strikes it, the movement he gets on the ball, and um, and because you you don't face it. Like at that time, I, I, you know, you don't face it in training. There's no one who can, you know, it's not like you can get a player out and said, uh, you know, just duplicate it. Uh, you know, I, I will get 10, 20, 30 shots and, and I've got this. It, it's something that you face only when he was on the pitch at that time. Uh, Drogba sort of developed a little bit of a similar striking technique from free kicks, but I think those first couple of years when he burst onto the scene and, and obviously had worked tremendously hard on the free kicks, um, it was definitely not something I'd faced before. Uh, and, and definitely for, for, for a couple of seasons, uh, I remember at least struggling a bit with, with the pace and picking it up quick enough. Um, uh, and yeah, he scored a couple of goals um, that, um, that I probably would like to have back <laughs> looking back at it. Is um this weekend's a funny one because it, it feels like it's almost Ronaldo's homecoming as opposed to Manchester United v Newcastle. Was there a sense of circus Schwartzy when even even then he obviously hadn't made the move to Madrid yet, but he was still a box office character developing? Was there a sense of occasion, theatre, um, hysteria when you were coming well, up against a player like that? What I remember though is that the first, I mean, he was there for what six years at United and he played he played just short of 200 games for him, right? And he scored like 80 odd goals for him in that period of time. So even though it's a really good return, it's actually nothing compared to what he's done post then, mm. you know? So I think it was a lot, if I can remember correctly, it was probably the last year, two years of his time at United where you look at him and went, every time he played against him, you thought, well, this is going to be a hell of a challenge. That you don't know what to do and you can't, you have to expect anything. Um, players didn't know where to engage with him or to drop off from him. They, they got turned inside out, uh, got made a mockery of, and, and like Thomas was saying there, any free kicks from any, di- any distance, any direction, you, you were, you had to be inc- on your toes um, and you had to expect the unexpected. Um, so, before that, he was this young kid who showed incredible glimpses of, of or moments of, of talent and ability. Um, and then he kind of, then then things didn't quite, you know, come off or something in a game. So the, there was that inconsistency. Um, but certainly the last year and a half, two years was, yeah, it was, it was pretty frightening and, and difficult to come up against him. He was a, he was a brilliant, brilliant player. And, uh, but he, let's, Let's you know. From my my memory is that he he went on to a in a, a different, well, not even a different level. Probably another different five levels. Planet when he went to Madrid. Yeah, a different planet when he went to Madrid. I mean, you, you look at his record at Madrid. I think appearances like I'm just reading here: two hundred ninety-two appearances, three hundred eleven goals. I mean, you know, it's phenomenal. So with him back, what's par for Manchester United this year, boys? Well, like I, I said before, like it's it's hard, you know, it's hard to say. Oh, now they're going to win the title because you you got obviously Chelsea who look, who looking extremely strong. Uh, you know, you got Man City, you got the two teams that were in the in in the Champions League final last year. So uh, you know, it's it's a tall order, but he he'll give them something extra, and that's why I'm saying it has to be top three now. Like they they have to get ahead of Liverpool uh, for sure, and 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 then try to. To get in amongst uh, the two favourites, uh, I, I think that's that's where you want to see them. And then they got to try to win a trophy. They they got to win 
League Cup, FA Cup, you know, European, they have to win something. Um, you know, just uh, just for Solskjaer to to get that monkey off his back and and to to really say that United, you know, they're 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 sort of at least getting close to their former glory. If you look at it though, last season United finished second. So <laughs> they're a better side. Yeah, but that that was with half a season of Lampard, though. You know, so I think that's that that's going to be a difference this year. No, I know I agree with you, but in terms of you look at just United themselves, you know, the next step for United is to win the title, and and surely Sancho, Ronaldo are adding to that ability, that possibility of winning the title. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, possibility, but I, I still think defensively, I don't think they're as good as 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 the the, the two others. No, but, they're yeah, not. We'll but they, I don't think they were. I don't think they were last season. I didn't. I don't think they were. They were second last season. You know, if you talk about it, in terms of league position, I thought Liverpool, Chelsea, were far better than them, really. But obviously, Chelsea over time weren't consistent over the course of the season. The season table doesn't lie. So, thirty-eight games, Man United deserved to be second. But in terms of actual squad depth and ability, we all know Liverpool had massive injury crisis anyway. So, to them finish third was remarkable. Um, United, new season, new players, everyone else is the same. Everyone else has strengthened. Liverpool have strengthened without really bringing in a lot of players, but have strengthened because of the fact that they've had all these players come back. I mean, I think the gap between City and Manchester City and the others has has narrowed because City haven't really, you know, apart from Grealish, I don't think they've necessarily, they've added obviously, but have they added on last season? In terms of league position, I mean, no, I mean, or points, even more points. No, I don't think they have, um, and I don't think City have quite got the balance right with Grealish on their side. Will that come? Yeah, probably. Will it be enough time to win the league? <laughs> You're pretty brave to bet against City, but like I said earlier on, um, what, what's the path for Man United? <sighs> I, I, I think United have to finish a bare minimum second. Is a path for me. Okay. Bare minimum. Yeah. Everyone else might have got more competitive, but they've strengthened. So uh, technically speaking. Yeah. 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 I mean, and also they've got to win a trophy. I I think they need to win a trophy. I I, I, I mean, that's something. I mean, Ollie said it a couple of seasons, or last season he said it, you know, winning trophies is not how you judge someone's success. Since when? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, since when but, you know, you. <laughs> of course you of course you know and I think people everyone gets judged all, all managers get judged on their success how they fit how many trophies they win what you know the, 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 we're talking about the top we're talking about the top echelons and that's what Man United are and need to be and have to have a manager that demands and, and expects winning silverware and there has to come a point and I'm sure it is already at that point where United are demanding silverware. Mm. Well, They've had progression. There's no doubt about it. Certainly had progression. They couldn't have got any worse, could they? Pressure's on. Pressure's on. You, can't, you just can't wait to see it. It just adds to the narrative, Thomas, of, of the season ahead, and it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, gents, we're going to touch on the weekend ahead in a second. I just want to touch on a few of the big news items because there might not have been any Premier League, but there's been a lot going on in the world of football. And I want to play a quick game and finish this sentence with you. And I want to start with, Thomas, a World Cup every two years is? Can I say too much? Uh, (laughs) 
uh, it was ridiculous uh, for me. Uh, I think it's it's uh, it's it's. I think there's been plenty of things said. Uh, you know, I think it's saturation. I think you want to keep. Uh, you know, one of key the World Cup special, um, and then where do you fit the Euros in? Uh, and we we talked about it during the summer, like how great is the Euros? They they you know at at times maybe even better than than the World Cup because it's it, you know it's it, it's yeah the quality is so high and um, you know again wh- how do you fit the schedule in of clubs and players and 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 you know the injuries and you know again I think it's a little bit like the Super League. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a money grabbing thing. You know, if we can get the from FIFA, if we can get the World Cup, you know, every two years, you know, it's more money in our coffers. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's the route to go down. And and uh, it seems, you know, a lot of people at least is 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 on my side in, in that argument. Schwartzy, there's, I mean, there's an argument that uh, well, I believe that you know you don't want to uh, make the jewel in the crown. Well, the, the value of a jewel is they're rare, and you don't want to have it more often than, than, than it does. It, it decreases the value. But the, the argument from Arsene Wenger, who's supposedly the champion of it, is it actually he's arguing from the football reasons, and of course no one can be naive enough, Thomas, to think that there's not a financial and a, and a commercial reason to it. For a football reason, he's arguing that you can actually tidy up the messed up calendar by getting rid of international windows, less qualifiers, and actually the tournament doesn't lose its gravitas because of how often it is because it will still be high quality. So actually you might have clubs going, oh, it's not a bad idea because you're actually keeping, we're keeping our players more often and have them traveling around the world for qualifiers less often. That's the footballing argument. But I don't know whether that uh, has you swinging any differently to Thomas there, Mark. Well, I was, I was involved in some of the discussions with Arsene Wenger and a whole group of other players, ex-players, coaches regarding this very subject and also the number of international breaks per calendar year. And and do you reduce those numbers and increase the actual time of the fewer breaks, the fewer times away? Um, And the World Cup, the very first thing when we had the discussion and that was talked about was my reservation was that about devaluing the actual World Cup itself. Having it too often is too much for me. Then there was a suggestion, and, and there were a group of players that put a suggestion for that maybe, maybe once every three years is a possibility. And, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not one to say that you can't change things. I think you should explore the ideas of, of potentially what could make things better. You've got to do you, your due diligence. You've got to put it out there. And apparently one of the reasons why this has also been pushed um, or has certainly been taken to this level, is that I think it's 166 um, nations out of the 200 and something registered with FIFA have voted in favour of exploring the the ideas and um, what the pros and cons may be for holding a World Cup every two years. The the only the, one of the well one of the other issues I have with it is that the no the zero consultation with other federations, i.e. UEFA, for example, Africa, all the different nations regarding their own tournaments. Having a World Cup every two years, what happens to all the rest of them? Mm. Where do they fit their tournaments in? What happens to women's World games? Cups, women's Euros, Absolute, women's uh, Absolutely. Events? Absolutely. Um, when you go on to the discussion about international breaks, and we at the moment we currently have five a year, reducing those down to three, but having over extended period of time, as a player that travelled a long way 
for 20 odd years, I actually don't think that's a bad idea. Um, having an international break for maybe three weeks or four weeks only twice a year plus the, the, the June mm. period of time, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, it's obviously people just trying to get their heads around it. I mean, the first thing people said were, was, well, who's going to pay for that? Club's going to have to pay for players being away for a month at a time. Well, you're paying that anyway. You're paying that for broken over five breaks over the season rather than three. Mm. There's no difference to me. And there are pros and cons with it because you may have a period of time where a player will be injured for that month and therefore the club don't actually lose that player and that player stays in their club. The national team misses out on them. There may be a case that they go away and get injured, which can always happen. So I, I, I think there's certainly a valid reason to explore reducing the number of breaks internationally and potentially extending the length of time players are away. As a hypothetical, which is a very much a hypothetical, but if we travel back to 2005, where it meant so much to you and to Australia when Australia qualified because of how elusive it had been. And for those in 2001 and 97, it was that idea of, oh, it's another four years. That's a lifetime away. And it meant more and more and more and more. Could you see that that, that carrot or that sweetener or that what it meant to a player and a nation might be diminished if you go, well, we'll get another crack in two years and there's more teams yep. and we might host definitely. it and da-da-da-da. No, da, definitely. Da. 100%. That goes without saying. Absolutely. I mean, the other argument that was put forward during that discussion was that there are so many players that may only get one opportunity to play at a World Cup because it's every four years. But if you take it to two years, they get more opportunities. See, I'm not one in favour of that. I'm one that, like you're saying, the fact is that it's every four years, the, the build-up, the, the meaning, meaningfulness of that tournament is so immense. Would we have had the scenes that we had for the Uruguay qualification games in 2005? Probably not if it was every two years. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I've to the, I still have enormous amounts of reservations about hosting a World Cup sooner than every four years. I still think four years is the ideal time. I, I'm, I'm still very much on board of that. Was that chat uh, for this cycle of headlines with Wenger, or was that a, was that an older discussion? Well, it was. What well, was it in the last couple of months? So okay. yeah, it was all to do with this, this whole this whole process now of because part of the thing of Alison Wenger is what he's been doing is which I think has been great. He's been all inclusive. He's been inviting a whole lot of ex players and coaches um, to be involved in discussions of various points, um, whether it's to do with you know, all part, all aspects of the game, uh, development of the game and so forth. And, and, and a lot of the conversation has been really, really interesting. And he's very open to people giving their own opinions and actually even even having direct contact with him to 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 put forward any other uh, any other opinions that you may have, discussions that you may want to have. And he, he's very much open to even having an individual conversation with you if you have an idea of how you feel that something could change. Mm, professor of a uh, of new football, new football ideas. This one is not going right, to go away. Get the sense. I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of Arsene Wenger. I think he's an incredible manager. Um, he was an incredible tactician ahead of his time. Um, I think he's an incredible gentleman. And yes, you may disagree with his opinion at times. You may not like the ideas that he comes up with. But you need people like him to push the boat. You need him, people like him, to come up with other ideas to to ask questions and ask uncomfortable questions and, 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 cr- and cr- create a debate because that's the only way I think we can 
potentially evolve the game if need be, or we can we can confirm that actually the current structure of whatever it is, whether it's a World Cup, whether it's a Euros, whatever it is, is the best it can possibly be at this moment in time, according to a whole variety of different people's opinions. Mm. Well, Thomas, the mess of, or the mess in inverted commas, of Walker qualifying, so to speak, sort of got seen in South America this week with quarantine rules and moving people around and Premier League clubs not sanctioning their players. And of course, I'm talking about Argentina against Brazil, which got cancelled because Argentina's players had, had, had bluffed on their form and said that they hadn't been in the UK and, and, Spurs had given permission to some players and not other players to go. And now we're talking about sanctions from FIFA for Argentina and Brazil and Tottenham looking at sanctions for a couple of their players for, for not listening to them. And we're talking about um, what's the other thing that's, that's happening right now. Uh, the Premier League not knowing whether the players that weren't released, the clubs that held their players back, whether they'll get fined for not releasing the players. It's a mess. So I asked to you, Spurs players ignoring club wishes to travel to South America should... In in my book, it, it should be respected. Uh, you know, I, I've been in a boat. Uh, I know how much it means to play for your country. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we just talked about the World Cup, you know, how elusive it is, how, how much it means, not just to players, but to the country, to the fans. Uh, you know, you, you, you play your heart out for your club, but, but, you know, where your real heart lies for a lot of players is, is with your country. So, you know, I get where they're from, uh, you know, and I, I get the, the situation, you know, the Tottenham you know, and, and every other club, you know, they don't want to release the players because it, it's, it's, again, political problems, uh, injury problems, all these things uh, go hand in hand with international football. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, 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 uh, and dish the, those players that went because, uh you know, they want to get to the World Cup. And, and again, it's a game against uh, Brazil. You know, who, who doesn't want to play in that? And uh, you want to keep your place in the national side. You know, it, it, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a mess, as you said. You know, there's so many angles to this. Uh, and and that, this is what this pandemic has done. It's yep. thrown so many spanners in the works. And, uh, you know, we don't know where to stand at, 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 at any given stage. Yeah, it's the, it's the international. It's, it's more the fact that uh, the logistics and the rules and the COVID protocols are a real mess with people traveling around the world right now. It's Buendia and Martinez uh, from Argentina, who I think were allowed to go, but Tottenham didn't want Romero and Lotelsco to go as well. And they're the two that Tottenham are looking at going. Um, yeah, you, you, you might be in a bit of strife. Did Lucas so- Mora did, did go for Brazil? I don't know. They're the four. They're okay. the four that they're the four names I've seen. Um, okay. That particularly, so two were allowed to go, and two Tottenham didn't want to go, and they're the ones that said they hadn't been in the UK when clearly, obviously, they had been. And and there's been and and, and Argentina claimed that the rules they were playing by the rules from Copa America. The rules have changed in Brazil since the Copa America, so it is a big mess. And we'll have to just stand by and watch what happens in the coming days in terms of uh, discipline reaction when the game gets rescheduled because it was a World Cup qualifier. A big, big, big mess. Um, a little bit tidier, Schwartzy, is the Socceroos. 10 straight World Cup qualifying uh, wins. 1-0 um, over Vietnam, following up the performance from China. Graham Arnold's side are actually in a really decent spot. 100%. Um, we, we had a conversation about this off there, right? And, and I, I say 
to all the haters out there, to all the the people that dish out the the the, the stick about the performance of the Socceroos, whether it was uh, this morning, last night, your time, um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, you most of these people have no idea, and they're just haters and they're people who want to complain about everything because. To play in the conditions the Socceroos have played in, particularly um, the last two games, and also the the mini little tournament they played in Kuwait, to win all those games cannot be underestimated how difficult a time that was. The humidity and the heat is ridiculous. The, the, the Socceroos played against Vietnam in 29 degrees heat, right? Which people go, well, in Australia, 29 degrees is not very hot. It's hot, but it's not not over the top. And you're right. It's not over the top. It's doable. But if you add to the mix, 72% humidity. I, I, after the game, checked. It was probably about two or three hours after kickoff, the, the temperature and the humidity in Vietnam at the time. And it was a general thing of Vietnam. It came up as 92% humidity. For the average mere mortal who don't travel, who don't leave their comfort of their armchair watching a game of football where there's a nice sunshine in the background or, or, or it seems like it was a nice day, you have no understanding of what it's like to actually, let alone step foot out of an aeroplane or step foot into a country that has humidity and a temperature of, of that combination, let alone have to go out actually doing any exercise and then go do it at an elite level. And yes, they are professional and everything else, but you've got to understand what that takes and what, what, what sort of levels of effort are needed to perform at that level. And add to the mix, the pitch was terrible. Mm. Um, against an opposition who are acclimatized and play week in, week out, live in those cl- in that climate, then that puts a little bit of perspective into it. But you still never know because you've never set foot in that country and never experienced it. But unfortunately, there'll always be those people out there that love to jump on the bandwagon and love to give you know the team stick. I, I, I take my hat off to them. I think it was a tremendous performance, regardless of whether or not the actual overall performance wasn't great. The result is amazing. And it puts them in a great position. And you, I think you have to give them a lot of credit. I think Graham Arnold said it after the game very well. Yes, we could play a lot better, hundred percent. But the attitude and the effort the players put in was 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 uh, was exceptional. And I think again, that is all we can ask for. And on top of it, they got the result. So it was the perfect the perfect scenario for them. Yeah, in these qualifying campaigns, I remember it was it for 2010, which was slightly anticlimactic for you guys, but that was the mark of a really good campaign, which was that was that you did the one nils in Vietnam and you weren't left scrambling till the final day to try get it through. We we, we played in Bahrain and we, we we were horrendous, we were terrible, but the conditions were extreme. We we won. I think Marbrechiano scored with almost the last kick of the game. We won one nil, and we we probably we should never in a million years we were lucky to actually win the game. We we. we we would have been lucky to get a draw. And the campaign seemed easy because we went through and didn't concede a goal until the last game against Japan at home where we won 2-1. Didn't lose the game. And everyone went, oh, well, it's easy. It's too easy for them. Well, we made it look easy, but it actually wasn't easy. It was incredibly difficult. But because of the professionalism and the effort and the commitment from the players, we made it look easy. And that's what these guys are doing right now. They're making it look a lot easier than it actually is. And half the time that's to your detriment because people underestimate it and people just think, well, they look at their, their ranking Vietnam and go, they're 94 in the world. How come the soccer is only 1-0? And when we get to the World Cup, we're going to get spanked. And, and that's just ridiculous. You know, judge them uh, in an environment that's suitable to play football regularly and the, the, these guys are able to play and perform at the highest level, then judge them. Don't judge them in these games because these games, judge the result 
that's the most important thing right now. It's an interesting... Uh, uh, sorry, Thomas. Yes, go, go, go. Yeah, no, Sporty, you, you know as well. That when you've played international football uh, for a long time, you, you know that there's just certain places and, and it happens in Europe. It's probably more extreme, you know, for Australia because the conditions are so different. But, but in Europe, you know, I've been to Armenia, Azerbaijan. You know, these are the places where, you know, it doesn't... It, it, ability goes out the window. It, you know, it, it's about the fight. It's about the conditions. It's about just grabbing the three points and getting the hell out of there. And, 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 um, and, and, and this is what people don't understand, you know, so it's part of the game and, uh, you know, take the three points, be happy. And Australia, like the Socceroos are in a great position in that group, um, you know, sitting top uh, and again in, in control. So, so what is there to be not happy about? Add to the mix is a pandemic. So add to the mix, yeah, yeah. The, the, the conditions, the restrictions that everyone has to go through. Mm. That, that is Matthew, another level altogether. You got you got Matthew Leckie, who's, who's the, I think the captain, and he's he's sat in Melbourne and, mm. and obviously doesn't want to travel because of of the quarantine. You know, so that's just absolutely one, that's mm. just one small part that that's not in their favour. And against China, who had been in camp, the Socceroos really had the old you know get together, thrown camp, couple of training sessions, and get out there. And and, and I guess the last thing on this sports is we've talked, spoken about the um, the professionalism and the and the and the ability to overcome duress. But actually, in patches, probably more against China than against Vietnam, this team that's getting assembled is actually showing pockets of actually being able to play some really decent football and have a few different options available with the development of your Hrustiches and and um, and Rogic's return to form as well. Um, suddenly, guys like Aaron Moy, who had been indispensable previously, they're having to come off the bench. There's just a few little choices that are, that are appearing, and that can only be positive over the next few months and years. Again, you know, you, you've got to give credit to Graham Arnold for putting trust in these players to come up with a different different scenarios, different solutions, different tactics, not afraid to mix it up. I mean, I think, you know, with, with Ange with the national team, the one criticism you could direct towards him was he didn't have a plan B at times, played the same way every time. And look, he even struggled in games away from home. They drew they drew with uh, with Thailand 2-2. There was two penalties that, uh, you know, uh, Miller Yednek scored and they were lucky to get those penalties. But they played one way and one way only, and they almost came unstuck. Graham Arnold has the flexibility. Listen, ultimately, you can only get judged on the games that you're playing. We talked about it earlier on about Denmark cruising through their group. They're cruising through their group because they deserve to and they've played so well, and they've made the group look easy. And yes, on paper, people will go, they should win the group. But should and doing it are two different things. You've got to, you know, you've got to live the scenario. You've got to work through the, the different environments. You've got to perform, players, injuries, come and goes, tactics, whatever it is. You've got to get the re- results. You've got to get those three points and move on. So you've got to judge the Socceroos on qualification. Get out of the group. We saw last time round, we had to go through a playoff. You know, we, we almost missed out on going to the World Cup in Russia. So you've got to get there firstly, get through this stage then judge them on the next stage. Don't don't just judge them on this stage by by virtue of qualification. Yes, the performance can always come, but if you're winning and not performing necessarily well, that's also not a bad position to be in. Be far worse if you're playing really well and not winning games and don't qualify. Be far mm. worse. Mm. I know where I'd rather be. 
Uh, it's good stuff. It's good to see the Socceroos back in action. Good to see them putting themselves in the headlines. Good to see them setting records, 10 straight wins in qualification too. So that can only be positive. And let's hope, there's a little bit of hope that we might be able to see them on home soil in October as well. And and the, the side deserves that home ground advantage. You know, to go through qualifying, having to play in neutral territory, that is a distinct disadvantage. So let's hope that comes into the mix. And finally, that 10 games in a row. You know, this is a squad of players that supposedly, you know, Yes, there's, there's a new generation of players coming through. There's some players that are hitting some form again. Um, but a squad that is far less talented than, than many previous squads. And none of those previous squads and squads that I was in were able to do that, 10, 10 qualifiers in a row. So you cannot underestimate how good of accomplishment and achievement that is. Yeah, well said. Well said. And it's great at the time to put the Socceroos back in the map because I've been through through sheer logistics, not played for nearly a year. It is great to see them back on the map. We've been talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. Before we finish off, we've got to talk about the Premier League coming up on the weekend because we spoke about Renata. But you know what? There's nine other games and 19 other teams that are going to be involved on the weekend. Uh, it all kicks off on Saturday night with Crystal Palace hosting Tottenham. Top of the league, Tottenham buzzing. There's some great stuff on the Off the Sport app if you'd like to read a little bit more around what Nuno has done to get them to the top of the table over the opening weeks. Goal rush on Saturday night. Goal rush is back in all its glory. Watford against Wolves, Brentford against Brighton, Arsenal against Norwich, Manchester United against Newcastle, Southampton against Southampton against West Ham, Leicester City against Manchester City, 2.30am, Chelsea against Aston Villa, and then it gets bigger on Monday again, Leeds against Liverpool, 1.30am, Australian Eastern Standard Time. That is one of the great rivalries, and the round finishes on Tuesday with Everton against Burnley. So much to pick apart. We will do it briefly. Thomas, we know we're going to be watching Manchester United Newcastle. We've spoken for ages on that. We're not going to talk about that. What else catches your fancy this weekend? Uh, you know, again, uh, a big test for Manchester City, I think, going to Leicester. Um, you know, Leicester have been a bit up and down. Um, uh, and City, uh, yes, uh, great result uh, against Norwich. But, uh, you know, where where do they stand? Um, you know, they've they've... They've had trouble with, with Leicester in the past and Leicester will sit back and try to hit them on the counter. So I, I think that's going to be an interesting game. I'll definitely be, be goals in that. Um, uh, and then, yeah, obviously Leeds, Liverpool, I think, uh, you know, a classic uh, in, in, you know, in Leeds with the fans there. You know, it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. And again, another big test for Liverpool to see where they stand because, uh, you know, we know what Leeds is about. What about for you, Mark? Yeah, Leeds-Liverpool is a massive one, isn't it? Um, interesting to see. We know what Leeds will do. Bielsa, his, his way of playing. We talk about, we talk about uh, plan, plan A and that's it. That's, that's Leeds United. You know, so they've got that. They do it normally very, very well. Um, big challenge for Liverpool. I'm, I mean, Leicester-Man City, a game like Thomas was saying, huge game. Um, and it's going to be uh, a test for Leicester as well. Um, and also Manchester City to see where they are and, and, and whether or not they start to to, to really hit the ground uh, running. I'm also intrigued to see how Arsenal respond. Mm-hmm. Being away, uh, international break, obviously, no, you know, lost losing their first three games um, of the season, playing at home to Norwich City. It, it, it's a it's a, a thousand percent must win. Yeah. If, it, if there's such a thing. Well, the, uh, the headline Nicolai from Teta. the weekend could be from this game. Simple. If it's not an Arsenal win, this game outside of Ronaldo will be the headline. I, I would think so, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, everything's on the line for Mikel Arteta come 
come this weekend with with Arsenal against Norwich for me. Interesting that it is, it is at home too. So the the fans and the atmosphere, the reception that they get is going to be telling for where the club's fans are in terms of their their faith in Mikel Arteta. But you made a great point, Tom. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. About this Leeds-Liverpool game happening in a packed Ellen Road. Like, it just oh. changes the dynamic. But it's actually at a really good time for Leeds, too. Like, they, they're in that little phase at the moment where everyone's sort of wondering, are they going to continue to build on last year? Are they going to have a few more challenges? They've got just signed Dan James. I think this is going to be a fabulous little opportunity for them to show where they're at. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, again, you know, there's no better opportunity. You know, again, it's going to be a, a cracking atmosphere. Ellen Road, where I, both me and Swartz have played there. It's such a tight ground, uh, old school. The fans there have been dying uh, to to be back. Um, so, yeah, and, and Liverpool, as you said, the, the, the rivalry. Yeah, they, they'll they'll cause some problems. Gents, I think that's all we've got time for today. We'll talk more about the Premier League. We'll dissect all those games in next week's edition of the Gag and Pod. There's a lot to look forward to there as ever. I mean, we, there's, there's uh, you know, what's interesting now that you mentioned how tight it is at the top, Schwartz, a game like Chelsea-Aston Villa it, it's, is, a, is a test that Chelsea must get through to make sure that everyone's maintaining that pace. So you've got that little change of dynamic now where dropping points or dropping points in, in a few games could become something that snowballs because the pressure up the top is going to get really, really, really tight. Um, and uh, there's a lot to look forward to on the weekend. And as ever, the Optisport app will have you covered, whether it's through words or through vision or through highlights or through replays, you will have it all there. And we'll be back on uh, Tuesday next week to wrap it all up for you once again. Boys, thank you for your insights today as ever. It's been great fun. Held the fort in Bridgie's absence, but I think looking at the clock, we got through. If Bridgie was here, we've been going for three hours. <laughs> Good stuff as ever. Uh, we still, we still miss Bridgie. We, so do, we right. do, we do, we do, we uh, do. Hang on, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Boys, thanks so much for your time. We'll do it all again next week. And to everyone out there as ever, and more than ever with the Premier League back this weekend, until the next episode of the Gang Pod, enjoy your football. <laughs>